All right, if you will take your Bibles, please, and open them to the seventh chapter of Hebrews. We come this morning to Hebrews chapter 7. We move forward a little bit. Um, Hebrews chapter 7. And again, we will begin reading um, at the first verse of chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being first translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give to us grace and help us understand the wonder of what it is to know your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So the true idea of blessing is something that has been lost in our culture to a great extent. It's left as simply a linguistic nicety, a courtesy, an open-ended wish for something good. Bless you. We, we don't mean anything substantial by it. We just mean goodbye. But we fail to understand the depth and power of blessing. And in doing that, we rob it of both its innate power and our appreciation of its beauty and declarative force to convey the true power of God to do good to those who love him. So before we can fully appreciate the wonder of Abram being blessed by Melchizedek, We need to back up just a little bit and understand just what a blessing is and just what a blessing conveys. And maybe we just might learn to recapture some of the awesome gift of true blessing. So as all things do, the concept of blessing begins with God. It begins with the idea that there are those who are directly blessed by God. So In its rawest form, a blessing is a conveyance of good, a conveyance of purpose, a conveyance of authority or promise. God grants his favors to individuals or to a people and causes the work of their hands to prosper by his power. It is the sovereign gift of God, and it cannot be bought, and it cannot be commanded. So we find at the beginning of all things that we know of God, the concept of blessing. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. You can't get much further back than that. In Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 22, we find this. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. 
And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, and the cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is in the face of the whole earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. And to you it shall be for food. And also... Every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps upon the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, what's this tell us? Well, it tells us that there is an intentional purpose of God to bring about exactly what he desired to bring about. So he established the earth and he established man's dominion over it and in blessing man and in blessing the earth unto man, he made sure that what he set up to do would actually be accomplished. This is true in every single sense of the word when we talk about God blessing somebody. There is a sense in which there is a purpose conveyed And there is a sense in which God also enables the purpose which he commands. He makes certain that what he sets out to do is accomplished. Nothing that God ever intends to do will ever fail to be done. That's something we should remember. Because we live in times when we feel like God is failing. We live in times where, where it is no errant thought that things are completely out of control and the world has gone mad and that nothing good will ever come. And there are doomsday prophets in every ilk who will tell you that things will only get worse and that things will always fail and that nothing good will ever come. But that's not the scriptural position. Yes, things will grow dark, but in the end, God triumphs. And what happens now and what is happening now is a direct result of God's intention and purpose and plan. And if we lose sight of that, if we lose sight of the fact that God not only has given us the command to carry the gospel forward and carry the kingdom of Christ forward, but if in that command there is also the inherent blessing to make certain that what he has called us to do, he also enables us to do. If we lose sight of that, then... We, we spend our days in misery, and we spend our days in confusion, and we spend our days in frustration and fear and anguish, and we spend our days feeling alone and adrift. By forsaking what it means to be blessed of God, we abandon some of the strongest and truest hope that God gives us. Because God gives us his blessing. He commands us to do what he set out to do. This is always the case. Now, God's blessing is primarily reserved for those who keep his commandments, the righteous. We read earlier today, Psalm 24, and verse 4 says, in in response to who, it says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, 
who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Ultimately, God's blessing rests upon those who trust in him rather than those who trust in man. And that's something that we should bear in mind. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, the prophet speaking, or excuse me, we'll just get there and we'll read it. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 17, starting at verse 5, the prophet speaking for God says this, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, which is not inhabited. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its root by the river, and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaf will be green. It will not be anxious in the year of of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and dreadfully wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So, think this through with me. Are there any of us that are righteous? Are there any of us that seek after God? Not on our own. But when God in his mercy calls us to himself and imparts to us the alien righteousness of Christ, gives to us a new heart, causes us to repent, we become righteous. God declares us to be righteous in his sight. He declares us to be free of sin. And he sets about fulfilling on the outside what he has already declared us to be on the inside. So even though we know that we are not righteous and we do not earn our salvation by our righteousness, we also can joyfully lay hold of the promises which tell us that the blessings of God are reserved for the righteous because in Christ, that's us. Does that make sense? In Christ, we have been declared to be righteous. So the blessings that God gives for those who are righteous are reserved for those that he himself has made righteous. It is reserved for those that God has imparted the righteousness of Christ unto. Which is how we know that scripture is true when it says that God turns cursing into blessing. Deuteronomy 23.5 says this, Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Remember we just read about Balaam? Right? And Balaam set out according to the will of Balak to curse Israel, and, but he said, I have to do what God says. And so the curse that was intended against Israel four times, God turned it into blessing. Finally, halfway through, Balak said, don't, either, don't curse nor bless, just shut up. And Balaam said, look, I, I have to say what God says. Right? So God turns cursing into blessing. He would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Now, this is referenced again in Nehemiah chapter 13. We're not going to read it, but God turns the blessings of our enemies, the curses of our blessing, curses of our enemies. Wow. 
God turns the curses of our enemies into blessings for us. And he does that because it is his power to do it. Every single blessing that is real comes from God. It begins with him. It ends with him. It is sourced out of his strength. It is birthed in his intention and in his will. And it is given to us according to his grace and mercy. And it's entirely God's will that will prevail. Look, I know that sometimes we look at the way the world hates us and curses us and the things that are coming down the pike, and we feel like we're overwhelmed and we're outmatched and we're going to fail. But the truth is, is that God always triumphs. And the blessings that he gives to his people will never fail. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, Hold fast to the promises of God and know that his blessing is real and that it rests upon us. Because ultimately, what is the ultimate blessing that we can receive from God? It's himself, isn't it? It's knowing him. It is a reality that we have been made into his children. Look at me at Ephesians chapter 1. This is the passage we've been dwelling in in uh, Ironman Bible study, and if you have not been attending, I would commend you to come, be a part of the fellowship, be a part of the teaching. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, let's start at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And everything from verse 4 on is an accounting of the blessings that have been given to us as the children of God. We have been made his children. And we have been granted privilege and position beyond anything that you can possibly imagine. This is the blessing of God. And it has been given to you not because you deserve it, but because God deems fit to give it. It is God's mercy and God's purpose and God's grace. And it is the blessing of God upon your life. If you belong to Christ, this is already yours. 
This blessing has already been pronounced over you. This blessing has already been given to you. It has originated in the heart and the mind of God. And it is the blessing of God that called you to life while you still hated him. It is the blessing of God that called you to life before you ever repented, before you ever turned away, to give you a heart that wanted to repent. It is his work and his mercy that changed you. Because the scripture is abundantly clear that nobody seeks after God. That nobody desires him, nobody does what's right, nobody seeks his face at all. So if you seek his face, it is clearly the result of God's work having changed you. It's his mercy. It's his blessing. Every blessing begins with God. Now, God also calls us to walk out the blessings that he's given to us and to recognize that not only has he given us blessing, but he has given us a call to bless others. And primarily, or originally at least, this is an expression of the authority that has been entrusted to us. Blessing between people are given as an expression of this authority. The one in authority commends his charge to God as a declaration of trust and a desire for God to watch over them. It confesses that God himself is the binding power and force between himself or, and, and the person that's being blessed. And it is a prayer that God will take on the responsibility of their protection and providence for all their need. So <clears throat> Genesis 27, verse 28, um, Jacob is praying blessings over his sons. And he says, therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. You skip down to Genesis chapter 48. Joseph, <clears throat> Joseph's children are before him and Jacob is blessing Joseph's children, adopting them as his own. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it says, he blessed Joseph and he said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And let, the name, let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So I, I said earlier that that was uh, Jacob blessing. It was actually Isaac blessing Jacob. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Isaac received, or Isaac gave to Jacob the blessing as, as the father to the son. And Jacob passed that blessing on. He blessed all of his children, but he also blessed in a very specific way the children of Joseph. And Joseph's two eldest sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, received a full share of the inheritance, which is why we don't see in the accounts of the tribes the tribe of Joseph. Instead, we see the half-tribe of Jacob, and the half, or the half-tribe of Ephraim, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Those two sons inherited Joseph's portion of the inheritance. Um, and so instead of 12, there were 13, Levi not receiving a, a full share of the land. Anyway, this is the blessing being conveyed. The authority that was first vested in Abram as the chosen patriarch, the father of all of the people of Israel, was passed to his son Isaac. Isaac blessed his son Jacob. Jacob blessed his sons. There is this this intentional deliverance of this power of God's promise. There is this intentional distribution of what has been imparted to us and shared with those who are under our care. And it illustrates an important aspect of the concept. Blessings are a single directional issue. 
as the writer of Hebrews points out, the greater blesses the lesser. This is why the blessing of fathers was such a powerful thing in the Old Testament. Isaac blessed Jacob. Jacob blessed his sons. They could not bless their fathers in return in the same way. They could be a blessing to their fathers, but they could not bless their fathers. Fathers bless children, and there is a real sense of conveyance. And further, because God was involved, there was a real conveyance. Now, this is the part that we we really need to wrestle out. There is a sense in which when we bless somebody in the name of God, there is a real conveyance of blessing. It's something that we speak lightly but shouldn't. We, we should be very careful about how we, we go about blessing people. Um, yes, we want people to be blessed and to come to know Christ, and, and it's, it's, it's one thing. But we use this really flippantly, and I, I catch myself doing it a lot. I'll say, you know, God bless, and, and I mean it. I want God to bless them. But I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't issue that without thought. I shouldn't issue that without a full understanding that there is power conveying in, in, in blessing somebody. And I don't want to bless somebody in their sin. <laughs> I don't want to bless somebody while they're doing things they ought not to be doing. I want to bless people to come to know God. And, and so for us as Christians, we need to recapture the sense that this is something powerful and important. This is something that we need to be aware of and we need to be guarding our minds and guarding our hearts because it finds its strongest expression in blessing when that blessing is conveyed by those who are themselves blessed of God, who belong to God, and when the blessing is intentionally given to those under their authority. And we see this illustrated a little bit further on in Ephesians. So look at Ephesians chapter 3 and we'll start at verse 8. And Paul's going to model this for us with the church at Ephesus and the believers there. So he starts off establishing his own authority. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. I ask, therefore, that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. For this neat reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, although Paul does not use the word blessing in this prayer, I can't think of a better one to describe it. This is the spiritual blessing of a spiritual father to those under his care. And his intention and his purpose is clearly defined. It comes from the authority that's been given to him by God, 
And it is conveyed to them with a purpose in mind that Christ would be honored, that the church would be triumphant, and that the kingdom would be extended. And for that to be accomplished, he then prays very powerful and rich prayer for the people themselves who make up the church, that they would grow in grace, that they would grow in the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, that they would experience this blessing of walking with God more fully than they ever have before. So much so that the only thing he can accomplish at the end of it is to say that God is able to do far infinitely beyond what I could ever ask or even imagine to ask, and to him be the glory. This is the part we really have to get. When we ask God to bless, we don't constrain him. God will do what God will do. And it's far beyond anything that you can imagine. It's far beyond anything that you can set your heart to understand. But this is powerful stuff. And this is the kind of stuff that the church needs to lay hold of again because it is our authority to bless. Just as it was given to the priests to bless in the Old Testament times, the Aaronic blessing given to us in Numbers is a statement of God's desire for the priests to bless his people. Look with me at Numbers, chapter 6. Numbers, chapter 6. We read this, oh, a couple of months ago now, if we've done a a chapter a week. Numbers, chapter 6, and starting at verse 22, we have this. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the way that you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So there is a command given to bless, and there is a conference, if you will, they'll put my name on the children of Israel, there is this conveyance of God's prerogative, this reminder, you belong to God. And there is this promise of God that when this is done, that God respects the authority that he entrusted to the priesthood, and he will give them the the guarantee of what he has promised. I will bless them. Here's what's cool. As we've been reading and learning through Hebrews, the priesthood of Christ supersedes the priesthood of Aaron. And the high priestly role of Christ is conveyed to us who are the priesthood of the believers. Beloved, you have the power to bless. You have the power to convey blessings to people according to the will of God. This is not a small thing. And I know I'm dancing on the edge of the mystical here, but this is something that we don't serve a mundane God. And and we often forget that He is God, and He is divine, and He is beyond our ken, and He's beyond anything that we can comprehend, and beyond anything that we can put our heads around. And we seek to limit Him so that we can understand. And we ought to stop. Instead, we just need to obey. 
And we need to do what God puts in front of us to do according to his will and according to his purpose. Because in the end, he is the source of all of our blessing. It's his power. It's not a magical, mystical power. You don't get to walk around and go, I have a holy hand, and if I touch you with my holy hand, you'll be healed. That's not what the scripture says. God is the source of it. And it is according to his will and according to his purpose and according to his guidance that we do what we do. But let us not be so confined to our logic that we lose sight of the mystic that goes beyond what we can comprehend. There is something profoundly beyond us in this entire exchange. Or, or we're not really worshiping God. Does that make sense? If we don't recognize the truth that there is something more than us in this, then, then what are we doing? There has to be something more. There has to be something powerful. Even to speak of regeneration and salvation, we are conveying the truth that we had nothing to do with it, that God alone changed our hearts, that God alone made dead flesh live. That he took somebody who was in the midst of hating him with everything they had in them and conveyed to them life. And in the midst of their cursing, they said, oh my God, please have mercy. What does that? Only God. Only God. And beloved, if we're going to see this nation transformed, that's the power we have to lay hold of. We're not going to do it by force of arms. We're not going to do it by our political vote. We're not going to do it by any of the methods of man. What's going to change this land is the power of the gospel. What's going to change this land is the truth that God is exactly who he says he is. And he's never stopped being that. And if we don't know this, then the fault and the problem lies with us. Because God has told us over and over and over again that he is precisely who he says he is. And as the children of God, as people who have been called to life, this truth has been pressed into us. So we have to recognize the sin that remains that causes us to diminish God and and causes us to seek to make him less than he is so that he is somehow controllable according to our means and our purposes and our desires. So he's somehow comprehensible to our puny little intellects. Because God is so much more. He is the source of every blessing that has ever been or ever will be. And he commands us to live that out. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, it says, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and take oaths in his name. Do you know what a blessing is? It's an oath imparted to somebody else. I bind you to this. I I, I bless you in this. And God himself seals this blessing because he's given to us this authority. This is an oath. It's his power that does it. It is rooted in the unshakable confidence in both the power and the intention of God to care for those 
who have been blessed. To believe that He hears our blessing and to believe that He supports our choosing and to believe that He will do everything that He has been asked to do according to His will. Does it ever strike you as weird when you're reading through the Old Testament and you come to the the deception of Jacob to steal the blessing? Right? It's a very strange encounter. Because when Esau comes in and he says, bless me too, what what does Isaac tell him? I've given my blessing. I got nothing for you, man. (laughs) It's been done. I can't undo it. I have conveyed my blessing. It's so profoundly unsettling and so profoundly confusing to think, well, you know, Make another one. Why couldn't he? Because the blessing is a real thing. It's not just words that he made up. It's a conveyance of real power and real authority and a real blessing that God himself comes alongside. And we have to get our heads around this. We have to understand that this is something real. You see, Jesus blessed his disciples and gave his favor to them. Listen to how Jesus talked about it in John chapter 14. He said, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do you believe that? No, no. Don't just give me the churchy Sunday answer. Do you actually believe that? Do you live your life like that's the truth? I don't know anybody that does. But we ought to. Because it is true. Jesus is conveying a blessing here. He is imparting authority. He is giving to us the blessing of a father to his children. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Wow. Now, Implied in this is asking my name according to my purpose, so don't go out and ask him for a Winnebago. (coughs) Pardon me. But do recognize that when we're laboring for the kingdom of God and we're doing what God has created us and called us to do, we have a completely untapped resource in our prayer life. We need to be earnest about this work of prayer. We need to be earnest about the seeking of God's face and and the the acting on this promise. This is why John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus said, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. You have been appointed to bear fruit. Jesus Christ says to us, I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. He recaps that same blessing. Down in chapter 16, starting at verse 24, he says this, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. If, If that's figurative... I'm not quite sure what's coming next. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, 
You will ask in my name, and I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and, I have, and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world, and I leave the world and go again unto the Father. I just chew on that for a minute. We know that Jesus is the intercessor. We know that all of our prayers are offered in the name of Jesus. And we know that because we ask our prayers in Jesus' name, God hears us. But did you catch what Jesus just said? He said, I'm not up there echoing your prayers. You talk and God hears. Do you recognize the truth that when you're on your knees before your God, your God actually listens to you? Do you understand that when you come into his presence, he waits to hear what you have to say? He desires that his children would seek his face. And he desires it, if I can say this, expectantly that he might grant us what he's decided to give us. That thing which he's placed on our heart and wants us to pray. That thing's already reserved. This is the blessing that's been conveyed to us. We are the inheritors of the blessing. The apostles, raising the dead, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, preaching the power of God, thousands being saved. We are the inheritors of that blessing. Do we believe it? Do we live as if it's true? This is the blessing of God. In the end, it is a mark of God's favor. God confirms the blessing when it's given by one in authority. And he returns it upon the giver when it's in alignment with his own will. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God speaking to Abram says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God has given Abram almost carte blanche. The whole world is going to be blessed through you, and anybody hates you, I'm going to hate them on your account. Anybody who loves you, I'm going to love them on your account. It's the most remarkable set of promises. I, I just, I'm baffled. But in the end, God also holds the benefactor responsible for the condition and the blessing of the one to whom it is conveyed. Listen to what Jesus said in chapter 20 of John. Jesus said to them again, peace I give to you as the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23 of John chapter 20 says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Who's responsible for that? It's us. God has given to us the charge to be Christ in this world. So let me give some teeth to this little point of application here. If you've been given the charge of blessing, and you've been given the command to go and to be a blessing, 
but instead you're, you're stingy with your blessing and you're angry with people and you're unforgiving and you're unkind and you're grouchy and you're grumbly and you're gossipy and you're all these other little things that, that go with our fallen humanity, you need to recognize that there will come a point in time where your behavior will come to account before God because you were given a charge to bless. You were given a charge to be the blessing of God in the midst of a lost and dying generation. And this is really hard for us because in the end, our flesh gets in the way. And our own failure to to fully relinquish our priority in our mind, it, it gets in the way. But God calls us to do that. He calls us to lay aside self because the power of blessing is a binding power. We really need to think on this. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they're retained. That's a terrible weight. And that's a terrible responsibility. And it's something that we should consider and consider well before we decide to hold on to past hurts. Because God will, in the end, hold us accountable. He promises that when this is done in His name and according to His will, then He will bless those who have been blessed. Again, Numbers 6.27 says, They'll put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Notice this giving of God's name unto and upon another. There is a real transference of power of God's promise to love the one blessed in his name. It is not an empty phrase. I said this before. I need to say it again. It's not something to be uttered in passing. It is a blessing given with full mind to the God whose name has been invoked. Now, I want to leave you with the coolest part of this whole idea of blessing. And it's the idea and the truth that when we get this right we actually are able to bless God. We're actually able to be a joy to the Father and and to be pleasing in His sight. To live this out in, in power and in truth is a blessing to God. It's an indication that we belong to God because in the end, only those who truly know and belong to God can honestly bless Him. Look at Psalm 145. Psalm 145, and we'll read the first seven verses or so. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Now, we have talked a lot about how we live in a world where God is revealing himself to us everywhere and where most of us are oblivious to it. 
If you're oblivious to the goodness of God going on around you, are you able to bless and praise his name? No. It's impossible. Which is why the world, in large, doesn't bless God. But the church has been given this power of blessing, this responsibility of blessing. And in that conveyance of God's blessing upon us is the inherent awareness of God that comes with it. And with that comes this privilege of blessing God, comes this privilege of praising God. Now, it's, we, we, we use the same word in English. They're, they're very different words in both Greek and Hebrew. In the, in, the, in the Hebrew and the Greek, the conveyance of blessing from the greater to the lesser is this idea of a conveyance of power, a conveyance of protection, a conveyance of purpose. We, we went through all that. But when we talk about blessing God, it's actually the idea of praising. It's the idea of giving praise to his name, of extolling him, of lifting high his glory, of being a blessing to God in that we bring him joy and pleasure. And so this is something that has been given to the church to do. It's something that has been given to the people of God to participate in because the world can't. The world doesn't see God. The world doesn't know God. The world can't worship. People can come to a worship service, but only believers can actually worship God. Okay? They can be present when worship is taking place. And they might get a quiver in their liver and feel like, oh, that was great worship. <clears throat> but if they're not saved... They can't worship God. It's not possible. Worship is a response of a living heart to the presence of God. Now, it's true that all men worship something. It's true that men are created to worship and men are created for worship. And everybody worships. They just don't worship God. They worship themselves. They worship a God of their own imagining. They worship something of their own dreams. They worship creation. They worship whatever. They don't worship God. So worship and blessing God are terms that go hand in hand, and it's something that has been given to us. So the psalmist declares, bless the Lord. I'm going to give praise to God. I'm going to extol his name. And he goes through, and he's talking about all these things that he's going to bless God for. And to the unbeliever, these things are, uh, okay. Now the tragedy comes when Christians go, yeah, okay. Because this is the revelation of God to his people. And he calls us to bless his name. He calls us to extol his his glory and to lift high his name. It is an offering of praise to God for everything that he has given. Because everything that he has given belongs to him and comes from him to us. Psalm 24, again, we read it this morning. Listen to the first verse, though. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. To whom does the earth belong? God. It's all his. It's all his anyway. Psalm 115 verse 16 says, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Now, is that a conflict? No, it still belongs to him, but he's given us dominion over it to exercise authority in his name and for his purpose. That means that everything that we do should result in praise to God because we are laboring in his world for his purpose, using his stuff for the things that he intends us to do. And let's hope that we do a better job of it than most of our children do with our tools. 
They grab our tools, they use our tools, they drop them in the grass, and they lay there forever. It ought not to be so. All my children are pointing at each other. Yes, I'm talking about all of you. Anyway, the point is, we need to be aware of the fact that everything that we do, we do for God's purposes. But we're using his stuff to do his work. We're using his tools and his, his creation to facilitate this challenge that has been given to us. Deuteronomy 8, verse 10 says, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the, for the good land which he has given to you. Now, Calvin writes on this concept, and it's a, a quote I, I found compelling. Hopefully I can read it in a way that makes sense, because I, I want to share this with you. The whole world belongs to God. Only he who takes with thanksgiving truly receives from God. He who does not robs God. All benediction begins with the word God. You, O oh God, blessed, the king of the world. The continuation varies. No matter what we're thanking God for, we need to remember that we are thanking God for what we're thanking. So he's talking specifically about eating. So he says, Before bread it runs, our God who has caused bread to come forth out of the earth. Before wine it runs, he who has created the fruit of the vine. If a man eats alone, he says the blessing to himself. In common meals, the main part is opened with a blessing, usually pronounced by the head of the house with a piece of bread in his hand. Now he's speaking about Jewish tradition here. Others confirm it with an amen. After this, the head of the house breaks the bread and distributes it to those who sit at the table with him. He himself eats first. There's no question of blessing the food and turning it into something different. He rather praises the creator who controls the fruits of the earth. At the conclusion of the meal, there is a common thanksgiving or praise for the food. Usually, the head of the house will ask the chief guest to pronounce this. After saying, let us pronounce the blessing, the guest then takes the cup of blessing and with his eyes upon it pronounces a blessing which consists of four benedictions. Thus the whole meal becomes, and, and the Greek word is eulogia, for those who thankfully receive it as a gift from God. It is a proclamation of the goodness of God. We talk about a eulogy when somebody dies. What's the eulogy? Let me tell you how this person is a great person. That's what a eulogy is. We're, con- we're conveying the greatness of this person. That's, that's, we eulogize somebody, right? It comes from this Greek word to give thanks to God for what he has done, the eulogia. It is this blessing of God. And I want you to notice, just in passing, this really struck me, and there's a whole sermon or 12 hidden in this, but I want you to notice in passing how this parallels the Lord's table. The master of the table took and broke the bread, and this is my bread, and he gave thanks for it, and he distributed it to his people. This was a very known, common practice that Jesus then transformed to be something profound. Now, here's the cool part about it. Every single thing that he brings into your life, he touches with that same power. We just have to have eyes to see it. Because what God evokes in us when our eyes are open and our hearts are alive and our minds are awake is thanksgiving for everything that he does. There is no part of your life, no matter how mundane, that God himself has not touched with blessing to evoke blessing from you so that you might give thanks and praise and you might honor the God who has made you his own. 
So this brings us to the point where we must learn to praise him for his specific deeds towards us. Now, I'm not going to read all of these passages, but I just want to show you a few places as we wrap this up where specific blessings were uttered. But these blessings were intended to praise God for specific acts. And these are people with their eyes open and their minds awake. So Luke chapter 1, verse 64, Zacharias has has spent about nine months without being able to say a word. And God has given him a boy child and has given him back his voice. And the first thing he does, immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke praising God. Or skip forward a couple of, of little bit into Luke chapter twenty-two or chapter two, verse twenty-eight, and Simeon has waited his whole life to behold the Christ, and when he finally sees the babe, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Or David, who has led Israel and is handing over the kingdom to his son Solomon, and David has spent the last half of his life collecting the materials to build the temple that God has told him, you're not going to be able to build because your hands are bloody. And I don't think that God was talking about David's life of war because he fought righteously. I think God's talking about the blood of Uriah. Your hands are bloody and you're not able to do this work. You've defiled yourself. I've forgiven you, you're still my son, you're still a man after my own heart, but there's a consequence to your sin. But listen to what David says as he hands over not only the kingdom, but this treasure trove of all of the materials that were gathered to build the temple. David said to all the assembly, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, Now bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord their God of their fathers, and they bowed their heads, and they prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. Does David sound bitter? No. Bless the Lord your God. And, And the wonder of it is that the people understood the heart of their king. So when David got this right... Israel got it right. Look, when we get this right, the people that we bless get it right. When we live this out, when we put flesh to this and we say, you know what, this is my life. I'm going to live to bless the Lord my God. I'm going to live to convey blessings to the people under my care. I'm going to live that Christ would be honored in the fullness of everything that I am. When we get this right, that rightness is conveyed out unto the world. And the people that we bless will also get it right in the context of what we're doing. This is the power of blessing. This is the reality of what God has done. Nehemiah chapter 9. The Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabani, Sherebiah, Hadanajai, Shabani, Pethiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and forever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. For you alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve them all, and the host of heaven worships you. Do you know what's going on in Nehemiah at this point? The people have just been confessing their sin. They've just been laying out before God that, oh my God, what we've done, please have mercy on us. God, please have mercy on us. And and what's the response? Bless God. So often we fear to repent because we're afraid that if we repent, God's going to shove us away. But the truth is exactly the opposite. Repentance calls us near him. 
It's how we're saved and it's how we walk in humility. To, to think otherwise is arrogance. God draws us into his presence and calls us into that worship. And in the end, when we think about trials and we think about difficulties, we should have the same response. Look at Psalm 66. Psalm 66, starting at verse 8. The psalmist writes, Bless the Lord, O you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. He who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined, and you have brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs, and you have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. I will go into your house with burnt offerings, and I will pay you my vows which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of ram, I will offer bulls with goats. Praise God for his abundant, good, and awesome nature. Even when it's difficult. Even when what we're contemplating is trials. Even when we look at our lives and we say, Lord, you have broken me. You have crushed me, but I deserve to be crushed. And as you bring me back into your presence, I will have nothing but praise for you. This is a living heart. This is a heart that is going to bless God with how it lives. We praise him for who he is. Psalm 104, verses 1 and 2 say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. You who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. I want to commend this entire psalm to your edification, but I want to end with this thought. In everything that we do and everything that we see, we want our eyes to be opened to the awesome nature of what it means to be the children of God, blessed by his name and given this awesome power and privilege of blessing others with what we ourselves have been blessed with. This is such a huge idea wrapped up in this tiny little word. And it bears some real consideration. We have been given this blessing. And we, as the people of God, need to live this out. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you give to us understanding. And we pray, Lord, that as we, your people, have received blessing from you, that we would be a blessing to the nations, and that we would learn, Father, to convey to those around us the blessings that we ourselves have received. Help us understand that there is real power in this. And help us use not only our words, but our actions and our affection and our desire for you to drive and to empower our blessing, God, that Christ would be honored. Lord, we ask in everything that we do that his name be praised. Teach us to love and to honor him. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.